Amen. Praise God that when we call, He answers. Then when we feel like we're in that spot that nobody else understands, there's no hope for rescue, that He is the rescue. Uh, how great is that? And what amazing truth. Thank you, Laura and Stephanie, for that. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Romans, chapter 1. And we're going to be continuing our, our kind of our talk through this topic of rethinking evangelism. Rethinking evangelism. We talked last week about this topic and we began discussing this idea and saw that it was truly a miracle when any human being comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Sometimes in churches today, there's so many programs, so many ways to try to convey the gospel that in some places and in some ways in our lives, if you've been in church for any amount of time, uh, it almost seems like we could just talk someone into getting into Jesus and knowing Jesus without really seeing that miracle take place. And so last week we talked about that. We talked about that when somebody comes to faith in Christ, it's literally somebody going from death to life, that they were once dead. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but it was the Lord Jesus Christ who quickened us. That word quicken means to make alive, to breathe life into us, that we were dead and undone. We had no hope right? Story of Lazarus and the book of John. You can prop him up. You can clean him up. You can dress him up for church. You can do whatever you want. But the problem is that he stinketh, right? He's been dead for, for a few days and he stinketh. He needs Jesus to give him life again. And so when we come to Christ, it is literally this miracle that takes place. I can't do it. You can't do it. We talked last week about what if God texted you this morning. I heard someone's phone going off. I thought maybe it's finally happened. Maybe Jesus is texting somebody. If you get a phone call this morning and it's Jesus, do me a favor, answer it, because uh, it's probably very important. So don't, don't put it on mute. Don't silence it. Answer it if it's Jesus. If it's anybody else, you don't got to take it. But if it's Jesus, you should answer it. So this morning, if he texted you, we talked last week about what would you do if Jesus said, hey, I got a job for you. I want you to go to the Goodland Township Cemetery, the local cemetery, and I want you to raise one person from the dead. I want you to bring somebody back to life. Not a revival. We don't need 50 or 20 or 100. Just go get one. We talked last week about there's no way possible that I could do that, that we in our own strength and our flesh could go and raise somebody from the dead. But the Bible says that the Spirit of God gives life. And that the flesh profits nothing. John chapter 6 verse 63 talked about that. So we learned last week that our flesh does nothing in the salvation of somebody. Now, that doesn't mean we don't go and we don't preach. It doesn't mean that we don't share the truth of the gospel. This morning, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you've been to church before, maybe you haven't, maybe you've been baptized, maybe you haven't, maybe you've read the Bible, maybe you haven't, maybe you've given a tithe check, maybe you haven't. We can do another one if you haven't yet. We want to make sure you get that opportunity. But if you have, it doesn't matter any of that. I think in, in America today, we've almost made Christianity, it's just like, well, I'm American, so I'm Christian, or I've gone to church, so I'm Christian. Right? I love what I heard somebody say one time. Going to church doesn't make you any more a Christian than standing in your garage makes you a Cadillac. Right? I, I've heard that before. It does, go, coming here doesn't make you Christian. Reading the Bible doesn't make you Christian. Here's one that I think we need to understand. Praying doesn't make you Christian apart from Jesus Christ. I can pray until I'm blue in the face, but if I don't know Jesus, they're just words. 
I've met so many people and I've talked to people. My stepdad was one. Grew up, and I'm not picking on it. This is where he grew up. He grew up in the Catholic Church. I'm not talking like today's Catholic Church. I'm talking like nuns and rulers and the little hat things and everything. I mean, just crazy. And he said, yeah, I used to go to church every Sunday. He hated it because it was like up, down, kneel, stand, up, down, kneel, stand, up, down, stand, kneel. It's like calisthenics, doing a workout or something. He used to hate it, but he said, he told me before he found Christ, I, I, I got saved at 16 and 98, and we had great discussions. And he always used to tell me, he's like, this Bible you keep quoting, I think it's just all, just, it's just all made up. Somebody's ideas on God. You can't prove that's the Word of God. And at first, I was ignorant, and I wanted to try to just, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell him, I'm going to convince him that this is the Word of God. And as God does, as we've talked about many times, he thumped me. I don't know if you've ever been thumped by the Holy Spirit. It's a loving thump, okay? It's this little, like, just stop it. Like, don't talk anymore. And it just, that came. And God kind of showed me, listen, stop convincing him of the Bible and convince him by living out the Bible. You just display Christ as I work through you by my grace. And he ended up coming to faith in Christ. But before he found Christ, he used to tell me, he'd say, you know, I don't know why you keep telling me i got to get saved or find Jesus. I pray all the time. And he pulls out this little card with a picture of some guy on it. And it was a saint card. And he turned it over and there was this prayer on the back. He said, I pray this every morning. I pray this every night. I just thought, wow. In his mind, praying that prayer is equal to knowing Jesus or being saved or being a Christian. See, we need to understand that, that finding Christ is so like going from death to life, that it's, it can't be compared. It's a miracle of God. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And if you're here and you don't know Christ, then let me encourage you this morning that, that you can receive him today, right now. The Bible says that today can be the moment of salvation. It's not putting your faith in a denomination. It's not being Baptist or Pentecostal or assemblies or non-denominational or missionary or any other of the 300 mainline denominations. It's simply and solely putting your faith in the truth and the reality that Jesus Christ over 2,000 years ago died on a sinner's cross, was buried in a borrowed tomb, and rose again. And he did all of that, the Bible says, so that you and I could put our faith in that reality and find forgiveness of our sins. Isn't it amazing that our world today doesn't have to be convinced of sin? You ever talk to somebody about Jesus and trying to help them understand the gospel? Every human being knows they're not perfect. I've never tried to witness somebody and go, oh, no, I'm, I'm perfect. I'm good. I don't need that. You ask people, have you ever made a mistake? Right? My four-year-old understands that reality. Yeah, I've made mistakes. See, it's not the sin issue that we struggle with. It's who Jesus is that we struggle with. And so when we talk to people, it's not that we beat them up with their sin. We lovingly encourage them that, listen, we've all made mistakes. We've all sinned. I think sometimes in church we forget that we once were lost. We look at the world and we just are so judgmental and we look down on them and we condemn them as though we somehow didn't need Jesus. Like we're so much better than them because we just happen to be introduced to Jesus. It doesn't make you better than them. It makes you knowledgeable of the gospel. It makes you obligated, as we're going to talk about, to tell Jesus to them. But if we're honest, sharing our faith can be difficult. I don't know about you, but sharing my faith can be even scary at times in this world. And here's why. Because a society that preaches tolerance seemingly doesn't express much tolerance towards the preaching of the gospel. In a society that declares and proclaims and boldly states on posters and billboards everywhere you look that we are a tolerant society. 
And I'm not opposed to being tolerant, by the way. I, I, hey, if somebody wants to be and live a certain way without Christ, I'm not going to jump all over them because they don't know Jesus. Who am I? But you better believe that I'm going to go tell them about Jesus because I want them to know what life-giving power Jesus has. But in today's day and age, it can be difficult. It can even be scary at times. If you're a student here and you go to a public high school, it can be really intimidating to try to tell your friends about Jesus. I've been in youth ministry now for 10 years. Praise God for that. And you know, it never, it's, it's funny. Every year, some of the same stories come around. I was trying to tell my friends about Jesus and some other kids made fun of me. Because listen, in our world today, it's scary. But here's the thing. It was scary in Jesus' day. It's not like it was easier back then. It's just as difficult as it was then as it is now. So what do we do? Because how do we continue to share our faith and go with this message? And how do we overcome those fears and worries that we all experience? I want to look at someone in the, in the Word of God that struggled the same as we do, but understood the need to go and to share. And so again, this morning, we're going to look at this example. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you've not personally received the gospel, then I want you this morning, as you listen to the Word of God and as you kind of open your heart up to this, I want you to just take time and just say, God, speak to me. I'm kind of crazy this way, but I believe that God has a specific message for each person in this room. I believe that you are not here by accident, coincidence, or chance. I believe that God sovereignly knew before the creations and the foundations of the world that you would be sitting in the seat you are right now. And that is powerful because that means he has so much value in you. He sees you as so valuable that he thought about you before the foundation of the world. I mean, that is, that's amazing to me. Think about that. The God that created everything that we see thought enough of you to think of you before he even created anything. Look at Romans chapter 1. I want to look at the Apostle Paul for a few moments this morning. The Apostle Paul has been stated in the Word of God he's done, or has done, or did so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we know Romans chapter 7 says that he struggled greatly to do the things that he didn't want to do and not doing the things that he wanted to do and all of that. And so look at the, Roman, the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. It says here, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. I love that. The great Apostle Paul, the great man of God, humbly starts off by saying, I'm just but a servant of God. I'm just a servant of Jesus Christ. It's amazing in the book of James, James, the half-brother of Jesus, declares when he opens his writings, he says, I am James, the servant of Jesus Christ. Let me just ask real quick, any little brothers willing to call themselves the servant of the older one? I don't think so, Right? It goes the other way around, right? Isn't that how it works? The older one is served by the younger ones. Isn't that how it works? Anybody get with me on this one? Any older, like, firstborns? Any firstborns in here? Any middle children? Middle children? Any babies? You're the baby. You're the last one. Okay, the middle children, we're on the same page. I know your struggles. I know your struggles, right? Hashtag know the struggle. Okay, so it says here, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. He was so humbled by just who Christ was, that he was willing to submit and say, I'm not this great, powerful apostle. I am merely a servant of Jesus Christ. It says you're called to be an apostle. And this is the part I want to focus in on. Separated unto the gospel of God. Separated unto the gospel of God. I know Pastor Keith prayed, but let's just take a moment and ask his blessing over this word. Heavenly Father, we ask you to speak like never before. Holy Spirit, we don't hinder you. We desire not to quench you, but we ask that you would just be here as we know you are and evident in our lives. 
You are not some mystical being. You are a, a part of the Godhead. You are, you are the Godhead equal with Father, equal with Son. And we ask that you would move, lead, guide, and direct. Father, I know that there's so much going on, but I pray that during the next few moments that you would just instill these truths in our minds and in our hearts and that we would be changed, eternally made different. If somebody here doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that they would open their hearts, allow you to speak to them, and receive with, by faith and, and through grace the gospel of Jesus Christ, simply believing all that you said you've done for us and the forgiveness of our sins. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says here in the book of Romans, as he's writing here, that he is separated unto the gospel of God. He has a call from God specifically for the gospel of God. And I truly believe that we will go and we will overcome our fears in going when we realize a few truths in our lives. The first truth that we're going to see in the Apostle Paul's life is we need to grasp our debts. If you're taking notes this morning, we need to grasp our debts. We need to understand that this morning. Look at verse 14 of Romans chapter 1. Verse 14 of Romans chapter 1. It says here, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. The Apostle Paul says here in verse 14, I am a debtor. The word there, debtor, literally means one who owes another. Let me ask a quick question here. Anybody ever been in debt before? Okay, a few people. How does that make you feel when you're in debt to someone or to something like, like, a, like a student loan, like a car payment, like a house payment? You just feel bound, don't you? You just feel like I'm just obligated to this. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul says. Paul says, I owe the Greeks and the barbarians, the foolish and the wise. The Holman Christian Standard translates this verse this way. says, I am obligated both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and the foolish. The Weymouth New Testament translates that verse this way. I am already under obligations alike to Greek-speaking races and to others, to cultured and to uncultured people. Do you know what Paul's saying here? He's saying there's a weight of obligation in my life. There is this weight that is just all over my ministry. And it is a weight uh, uh, that I feel. It's an obligation. It's a commitment to every human being. In the Bible, when it says Greeks and barbarians, the reason he says that is because the Grecians felt that everyone other than them were foolish and barbarians and and just not as sophisticated and not as, as smart and wise. So Paul's writing here to the Romans and he says, listen, it doesn't matter what culture, it doesn't matter what gender, it doesn't matter what social status, academic status, it doesn't matter any of that. What matters is I am obligated because I know Christ to tell someone else about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul understood he was under a binding responsibility to share the gospel with as many people as possible, no matter anything of their person. We owe to those that do not know Christ a huge debt because we are obligated to share it with them. This is not a local debt or a United States debt. This is a global debt. If you guys were here when uh, some of the speakers were here from New Tribes Missions, talking about their ministries all over the world, to where almost 2,000 people, I'm sorry, 2,000 language groups don't have the word of God in their language. Just shy of 2,000 
people groups, unique individual languages in our world right now, in 2015, don't even have the New Testament in their language. And you know why? Because we as a church, not just North Goodland, but the church in America, the church in our world, we have forgotten that there's a debt. We have forgotten that we owe them. See, in America today, it's easy to kind of be comfortable in church. And I'm guilty of this just as much as the next person. And we start to forget and we start to let other non-issues become bigger than the global debt. And churches, you hear of it all the time. Getting these little fights and tiffs over this silly little stuff. The color of the chairs, the color of the carpet. I mean, just foolishness. And there's this global debt that's weighing on a church. And we need to stop and say, no, no, there is a debt. There is an obligation that I carry, not someone else. I think that's the, the, the catchphrase of church in America. Someone else will do it. See, Paul didn't really want to go that route. He said, no, no, it's not someone else's obligation. He said, it's personal. It's my obligation. Where did this weight come from? I want you to flip over to the book of Acts chapter 19. Why did he feel this strongly? Why did he feel this obligation? Acts chapter 9 verse 15. Did I say 19? Okay, you you guys know where to go though. Come on. You're smarter than that. Acts chapter 9 verse 15. I really just did that to make sure you were paying attention. Okay, so Acts chapter 9 and verse 15. Many of you know this passage. It's the conversion of the Apostle Paul. He went from being Saul, the persecutor of the church, to the great apostle that we know of as the Apostle Paul, who traveled 10,000 miles preaching the gospel, who wrote a third of the New Testament. Uh, Acts chapter 16 records the first European convert named Lydia. This is the great apostle, but he had humble beginnings. And by the way, he was the greatest persecutor of the church. You ever try to start feeling guilty? Maybe a little pity party, like, who am I to serve? Who am I to go? I can't do that. I've done this. Listen, the apostle Paul did more against the church, but he was used the greatest of God to build the church. Stop letting your insufficiencies limit and limitless God. You have no idea what God has for you. Surrender, submit, and just get on board and watch him use you in great ways, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. Verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. This is to uh, the man that was supposed to go and heal Paul of his blindness. Uh, This is a Christian man who is terrified to go because Paul has come to this very city to arrest all the Christians and throw them in prison. And this was a man that most likely, if Paul would have gotten to the city, would have been arrested and thrown in prison. And so God meets him on the road to Damascus, gets him with blindness. He is led into the city, and God asks this man, go heal him. This man says, whoa, whoa, time out. If I go, he will arrest me and throw me in prison. That's not a good idea. And God says, no, no, listen. Look what he says here in verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings, and the children of Israel. The Apostle Paul realized there was a great call on his life, and it says here he's going to go to the Gentiles, to kings, to the children of Israel. Paul understood the call that God had on his life. He understood that the Lord's call was to bear his name, the name of Christ, before the Gentiles, and Paul took this call seriously enough to go. 
He felt as though he was bonded to those that did not know Christ. And by the way, let me just remind you of this. You know this. As I've already said, you're pretty smart. We, as a church, have the same call today. See, the call of God has not changed in 2,000 years. It's not that Paul was called to go and preach the gospel, and we somehow are free from that obligation. We have the same calling in our lives. We need to realize that we need to go just as Paul did. But I believe we will go when we realize the obligation that we carry, the debt that we have. But secondly, I believe that we will go when we realize the truth of living out our passion. The truth of living out our passion. It's not just grasping our debt, it's also the reality of living out our passion. Look at verse 15 of Romans chapter 1. Turn back there real quick. Romans chapter 1, verse 15. Paul understood the debt. He grasped the debt. He realized he was obligated their sins, to their lifestyles. He was obligated to them. He felt a weight, a debt, a binding to them to share Christ with them. And that led, that, that obligation led to him living out his passion. Look at verse 15. So, he says, because of the debt, because of the obligation, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He says, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome. This phrase, I am ready, that word ready is really interesting. I find this amazing. When you study that word, you find out that it basically means loosely willing. I am willing to go. But when you take that word willing and you start breaking that word down, you find out that the origin of that word in the Greek is the same origin where we get the word thermometer. So follow me on this. The word ready, when you break it down in the Greek, it comes from two root words, two basic words. And part of that root word comes or gives us the word for thermometer. Now why would that matter? Why would that be interesting? And here's why. Because that word basically means to get heated, to be passionate, or to be heated up. When you talk about living out your passion for Jesus Christ and the gospel, it's all about Paul saying, I am heated up. I'm ready. Literally, I'm on fire. I'm burning up. I, I, it, just, it just consumes me. It's this fire. I love, I believe, is it Jeremiah that says there's a fire in my bones? I just can't contain it. It's just in me. It's all throughout me. He says, I am on fire. I am heated up and I am ready to preach the gospel. Jesus was just as passionate about reaching the lost. It's not that Paul was the first one to have this passion. Jesus says in the book of John, chapter 4, verse 35, if you don't have time to turn there, I'm going to read it to you. Just jot it down for notes. John 4, 35, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Those that were following him, this is what he says. He says, say not you, don't say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. Many of us plant gardens. Many of us, some of you do a lot more than that. I mean, you plant acres and acres and acres of, of crops. And it, it, if you're not careful, you almost get this attitude like, well, it's not like it's ready to be picked yet. I've got some time. And sometimes we treat the gospel that way. It's as though we have this apathetic attitude, like, well, there's all kinds of time. I got all kinds of time, and that's what the, the, the disciples were doing. And Jesus says, no, no, you can't think that way. You can't live that way. You don't know how much time you have. 
What does James say? We referenced him already once. What does he say about our lives? They are what? A a vapor that appears for a short time and then vanishes away. That word vapor is that idea of that steam. You ever boil water? I had a friend in, in high school. His sister used to burn water when she tried to boil water. How do you do that? Anyway, so she's not a great cook. I'm sure she made a great wife, but just not a good cook. Okay, so anyway, that, that steam, when it comes off the water, and you can watch it for just maybe a few seconds before it dissipates into the air, guess what? That's your life, the Bible says. It appears, and then it's just gone. And if we're not careful, we think we've got all this time. Listen, praise God for the time we have, amen? You need to be making investments, not just in yourself. Ideally, make investments in others. Make investments in your children, your grandchildren, your family, your church family. Not by just giving time, but giving quality time. I mean, be there. Your life is so short in comparison to eternity. And James says it's just but a vapor. And see, the disciples, they had this mindset like, oh, we got all this time. And Jesus says, you have no idea what you're speaking of. You, you don't know how much time you have. You can't wait. You can't put it off. You can't say, I've got time, because you don't know. Only God knows the time. Jesus continues this idea of, of this harvest and this idea of going out into the harvest in Matthew chapter 9. Again, write it down, verse 38. He says here to his disciples, Pray you therefore, because this harvest is ready and we need laborers, right? It's not going to pick itself. We got to work. We got to go out into the fields. We've got to put the effort in. He says, Pray you therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. See, we need to understand, first and foremost, there's a harvest to go get, amen? And it's not one that I, I planted. God is doing this work in the world, and if we're not careful, we get so self-consumed, we forget, wow, wait, there's a lot that he's doing. I mean, do you really think the United States is all and the only place where God is working? Do you realize in China right now, there are more Christians than there are Bibles in that country? And by the way, it's technically illegal to be a Christian in that country? And we just sit like, oh, we're so persecuted in America. I had to drive to my air-conditioned church. I mean, do you, he said, no, there's this harvest all over the world. I'm doing this work. I'm, I, I'm planting and building my church. I told you I would. Why are you surprised? But guess what? You got to go. And you got to start reaping. You got to start reaping. And he says the first step in going is prayer. We need to pray for the Lord to give us the strength or others the strength to go. We need to be praying and saying, God, this is your harvest. And I love when he does this because he continues that very same illustration in Matthew chapter 10 as he commissions those very same disciples that were supposed to be praying for people to go. He says, okay, guess what? I'm sending you. See, that's why it's scary to pray. Because if we're honest and we pray with God's heart, we might pray something and he'll go, okay, that's fine. Thank you for praying and opening your heart because you're going. I just wanted you to be ready. Sometimes he'll send someone else. The Apostle Paul was so stressed out in the book of Acts because he wanted to go to Asia and preach the gospel. And God said, no, I don't want you to go there. And Paul's like, I want to go preach the gospel. And he says, no, not yet, not now. And he sends him the Macedonian call and he goes to Macedonia and Lydia is converted and all those by the riverside. And this gospel begins to spread through Europe and God does this great work. 
See, sometimes he's going to send you, and sometimes he's going to send someone else, and he might send you later. The Apostle Peter went to the very same area where Paul wanted to go and had a great and fruitful ministry. You see, it's not in our hand to determine who goes where. We just got to say, I'm willing to go when you want me to go. And it starts with prayer. It starts with a willingness to get heated up and to be on fire. So let me ask you a question. Do you see the harvest? I mean, do you see it? Do you believe that God is doing this work? Or have we just grown apathetic? Have we just kind of got this whatever attitude and we think that we have all this time? Man, I know that I got to go. I know, but man, I got this to do around the house. I got this to do around the house. And I got this to do. And I got, man, I got this to do. And I got, I'm busy over here. And you know, man, if I could work Jesus in, I would. But I just don't have the time. Jesus said that we need to pray and let him send who he chooses to send when he chooses to send them. All we can be responsible for is prayer and being willing and ready. We need to get passionate and we need to get heated up. We need to be on fire. So why was Paul so passionate? What makes him so on fire for God? We all know the struggles, but I want you to understand that he understood the power of the Spirit of God working in his life. It was pushing and moving inside of him just like it moves inside of us. Jesus said that it is the Lord that sends us, and I believe that the moving of the Spirit is how we know he wants us to go. I love verse 15. Look at it again. There's another phrase I want you to notice. We talked about he said, I am ready, but he doesn't just say I am ready. He says, as much as is in me. See, it was not a part-time thing for Paul. Christianity was not a part-time religion for Paul. It wasn't a weekend warrior thing. It wasn't a sport that he just kind of did when he was in the mood. It was a full-time, lifelong obligation to the lost. It was a commitment to Jesus Christ. The Spirit is burning in us and giving us the ability to do what he's called us to do, that we need to be on fire for Christ. We need to be a church that burns for the glory of God. And I'm telling you, we'll never burn as a church until individuals say, I'm willing to burn. I'm willing to get heated up. You know what? I can get fired up about the lions. I can get fired up about the tigers. I can get fired up about all this stuff. But man, why do we struggle so much to get fired up for, for him? We act like fools when our team is winning. Watch me at Anthony's machine pitch game. I'm that guy. You know that dad, you're like, I wish that guy would shut up. Let's be honest. We all know that guy. I'm that guy. And it, just, it was just because I was so just into it. I was just like, man, awesome. Yeah, go, man. Do we get that fired up for them? And we see brothers and sisters. And do we get passionate for them? And like, I'm going to pray for you. We've got missionaries out here on this wall. And so many of us just walk right by. These people have given their life to go to somewhere else to tell somebody else about Jesus. New Tribes Missions, they tell you in training, if you want to be a New Tribe missionary and go to a tribal people group where there's no known spoken language, it's not like you can go to school and study the language. You've got to learn it by being there. Then you've got to create the language based on sounds and all that. And then you've got to translate that language in a way that they can understand it when you teach it to them. So you teach them to read their own language. Then you translate the Bible into that language and then you preach the gospel. They'll tell you, if you don't have 20 to 30 years, don't go. Because it's going to take 20 to 30 years, depending on the people group. And you know what's happening? Some go. Some don't. Man, 20 years, that's a long time. 
you know what, I can just, man, I'll just do this at church and that'll, that'll take care of it. See, maybe God's not calling you to full-time missions, and that's fine. But if he is, you, you need to be ready to go. And if you're not called to go, then you need to be ready to pray for those that go. And say, I'll, I'll, I'll back you up. I'm here for you. I'll support you. I'll do whatever you need. Because when we burn as a church, people will drive from all over the place to come to a church that is burning for Christ. Reminds me of a story that I once heard. This idea of a church on fire. This is more of a literal sense. A village priest in England was called out late one evening with the alarming news that the church building was ablaze. By the time he reached the scene, the church was half destroyed, and he stood helplessly watching the flames leaping off the building. Then among the spectators, he happened to look around, and he saw old Tom, the village drunk, Saw him standing in the crowds there, and and Tom was renowned for his stealing and poaching habits. Well, Tom, said the pastor, I see you've come along to the church at last. Finally made it out to church. The old man smiled naughtily. Well, you see, minister, he said, your church has never been on fire before. I mean, what a sobering reality. We look at the world and we're like, "Why, why won't they come? Why, why aren't churches packed every Sunday? And I got to ask the question, are those churches burning for the glory of God? Are we ablaze with the Spirit and the power of God? I truly believe that when we burn with the fire of the Spirit, that people will come from all around to experience finding and following Jesus. Thirdly and finally, quickly, as we get ready to finish, I believe that we'll go and overcome our fears when we realize and grasp the debt when we get passionate and live that passion out unashamed. And thirdly, we will go when we realize the gospel. Look at verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. This is probably one of the most popular verses in the book of Romans, apart from Romans Road and those verses. I've seen this on bumper stickers, t-shirts, refrigerator magnets. I even know somebody that got this tattooed on their arm. He found out later that there was a couple words missing, namely the word of Christ was missing. Uh, It's written in a different language, and he didn't know it. And so he's had this tattoo for years and just found out that Christ isn't even in the tattoo. So it kind of, he wasn't too happy about that. But anyway, I've seen this everywhere. And that's the problem. I think we've seen it everywhere, that it's somehow lost its effect. Let's look at this this morning. Could you imagine for a moment, I know it's hard to do, but let's just imagine this is the first time you're reading this. Paul says here, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Do you see by Paul saying, I am not ashamed, he's actually affirming that he is actually proud of the gospel. He's saying, I am actually quite proud of the gospel of Christ. Because I don't think that anyone who received Christ would say they are actually ashamed of the gospel. I don't think that I could receive the salvation that he offers and then go, I'm ashamed of that. But I believe that so many of us, we don't really think we are, we don't feel that we are, but by the way we live, 
we've somehow started putting out this perception that we are. That we're actually ashamed of it. But let me be honest with you, there's a great temptation in this world today to feel the need to be ashamed. It's almost like today if you believe the gospel that somehow you should feel like a fool. There's intellectual shame that the society that we live in today wants to push on us, that we are fools for believing in a fairy tale religion based on an inaccurate and outdated book that you have to pick and choose verses from to make sense. There's a social shame that goes along with the gospel. Everyone is and should be accepted by God. After all, he made them all. Why would we exclude anyone or try to impose our narrow view on everyone that you have to have Jesus to go to heaven? There's even a moral shame, which sounds kind of ironic, but it comes because we are tempted to live by the morals of the world today and not these rigid, black and white, absolute truths of the Word of God. I mean, of course lying is wrong and we shouldn't lie, but I mean, sometimes you have to lie. Sometimes you have to kind of just omit things or you don't want to hurt someone's feelings so you're not 100% honest with them. I mean, everybody tells a white lie. See, this is the world we live in today and unfortunately generations have gone through this to where now I have teenagers that will tell me, Christian teenagers raised in Christian's homes will look at me and say, what's the, I mean, I didn't really lie. I didn't really lie. I mean, do you see how this could just kind of overwhelm the Christian in today's age? How it's overwhelming you today and you feel this weight to just kind of, maybe I'm just not going to live as boldly as I once did. I still believe the gospel. I'm not ashamed. I'm just not going to broadcast it. I met a woman when I was taking some classes at Mott Community College a few years ago. She said she found out I was a Christian going to a Bible college because the whole class found out, which was awesome, because then as a sophomore in Bible college, I become the spokesperson for the Bible Christianity and Judaism. Not intimidating at all. Uh, it's a, it was a multicultural class where we talked about different cultures in our country today, subcultures, and they found out, hey, look, the lone Christian will make him the spokesperson for Christianity in America. And uh, that was a lot of fun. But it was a great opportunity, too, to share Christ with that class. But anyway, this woman, she was sitting in a little small group. We were discussing something, and she leans in all quietly. I mean, this woman's in her, like her 50s. And she's like, Christian, right? Yes, I'm a Christian. Oh, oh, me too, me too, me too. Good, good, awesome. I just, I just, you know, it's a personal thing. I just don't want to let everybody know. Oh, so you're, you don't want people to know you're a Christian. Oh, I'll keep it a secret. I won't tell anybody you're a Christian, right? No, I didn't really do that. I wanted to. Christian, right here! Christian! Right here! No, I didn't do that, but... I mean, that's how people are today. It's like, oh, I, it's a personal thing. Show me anywhere. If you could find it, man, I would, I would completely change my view. But I read Acts. I read the apostles. I read, I read the works of this early church, and I don't see a personal thing. I see a passionate global thing. I see a thing where 12 guys, I'm sorry, 11 guys, and then 12, turned a whole city upside down. Changed an entire culture to where people said, we can't kill these guys because if we do, the outcry of the people in our country, in our society, will be so great we can't resist it. It's not a personal thing. The gospel is never supposed to be a personal thing. It starts personal with us in Christ and then it always goes out from us to others. While these temptations exist and are becoming more prevalent in our world today to give in, to not stand out, we have to make a choice. 
Do we give God lip service and live ashamed, or do we declare in Christ that we are not ashamed no matter the cost? Personal, financial, social, economical, doesn't matter. Paul was not ashamed because he understood the supremacy and sufficiency of the gospel. He says that it is the very power of God. Can I ask you kind of an introspective question this morning? Do you live as though the power of God resides in you? I mean, do you, I mean don't answer aloud, but just think about this. Do you believe the gospel is the very power of the almighty creator God? That breathed stars, the Bible says, into existence that we can't even fathom the size of. I mean, that God, his power resides in you if you know Christ. I mean, do you, do you believe that or is it just head knowledge? I know it, but I don't really live it. I know it's true, but do I apply it? Truly, the power of the gospel in its simple truth, just to those believe, is so amazing. It has the power to make the it drunk the sober, to make the liar it has honest, the power to make the prostitute, and to make the sinner righteous. Not because of what I do. I have no righteousness in and of myself. I only claim the righteousness of Jesus Christ because he died, he was buried, and he rose again. When I stand before God, I'm not going to have these works and this pile of good works and go, here you go, God, here's the best 10 minutes. Look at all I've done for you. He says, that's a filthy stench in my nose. I can't accept that. I can only stand humbled and yet boldly and say, I claim the blood of Jesus Christ because at the end of the day, that's all I've got. I can't clean myself up. I can't make myself pure. If I could, the Apostle Paul says, why did Jesus need to die? He died because it was the only solution. The book of Galatians says he died for our sins in our place to take our punishment on that cross. And if you believe that this morning and you've received that, then are you really ready and willing to go? We know we don't do the miracle, but we know that we are the vessel the Spirit will use to accomplish the delivery of the gospel. Paul said, I am ready to preach the gospel, and he did it all over the known world. He went to Jerusalem, and he preached at the religious center of the world and was mobbed. At Athens, the intellectual center of the world, and was mocked. At Rome, the legal center of the world, and was martyred. He could say boldly, by the grace of God, I am not ashamed of the gospel, and backed it up by going. Man, in church, we're good at talking, aren't we? Man, we're good at saying some stuff. We can amen, we can head nod, we can just say that's good, that's good preaching, and then we go to Lucky's, or we go to Chinese. Praise God for Chinese. But anyway, we go get us some sesame chicken and some fried rice, and we're just sitting there, and we're just having a good time, and somehow it was just lip service. Man, we need to be broken. Not in guilt and shame and feel worse on ourselves, but going, man, God, the gospel you've given to me, how can I not... Give it to someone else. You don't like what you've seen in the news lately. You don't like what you've seen in our world. You don't like what you're seeing in in our government. Guess what? The solution isn't going to come through a protest sign. It's not going to come through yelling at people and calling them names. It's not going to change nothing. In fact, what you're doing is you're just driving a greater wedge. It's going to come when the church gets up and says, we're the church and we're broken and I just want you to know Jesus. That's where it's going to start, and that's where it's going to end. And it's been that way for 2,000 years. It's never going to change. It can't change because it's not about me. It's not about you. It's always been and will always be about Jesus. And if it's not about Jesus, then it's not about Jesus. And then I don't want to be a part of it. 
man, I want his glory on display. I want his gospel on display. Because I didn't save me, he saved me. Are we really ready to go? Not out of guilt because you want to make the church happy. Not out of guilt because you want to do some work. But your passion is so real. The grace of God is so real. You're like, I can't help but go in response to this great love the Father has given me. That he would die for me on a cross and be buried and rose again. So I could go to his heaven and live in his presence and rest and peace and joy for eternity. And I did nothing for it. Man, are you heated up? Man, I just, I get so excited to think about what could God do if the church just was the church and just burned. The community would be tore up, the world would turn over, and we would see our society change. I know what you're thinking. Oh, there's no hope. How could we have? No, it's going to start if you believe there's a hope and the hope is in Jesus Christ. Be ready to give an answer to those that ask for the hope that lies in you. Man, just give them Jesus. Because guess what? That's all we got. Pastor Saeed Abedini is sitting in Iranian prison. I mention this as often as I can because I don't want it to be some distant ideal or concept where we think, oh, it's just this vague concept. It's not a reality. This man is sitting in a prison, has been beaten. His wife has gone a couple years now without seeing him. His kids haven't seen him. Why? Because he went somewhere and preached the gospel. That's it. And he's sitting in a prison cell right now in our country, could care less. But you know what? I'm not surprised because I don't trust in my country. I don't trust in my government. I trust in Jesus. See, he was willing to go and preach. He got fired up. Did he have to go? He was here. He's a citizen here. His family's there. He could have stayed here. A good friend of mine in college, Stephen Corey, was an amazing preacher. This guy could preach. I mean, Pastor Nathan would approve of this guy. He's so good. It was awesome. And every time I heard him preach, I'm like, man, do you realize you could start a church anywhere in this country and it would just explode? Still to this day, I've never met a Christian as on fire as this guy. His father, a pastor in Israel, shot, stabbed, their church firebombed. Stephen was beaten up as a teenager, stabbed, threatened to be killed, standing there witnessing to armed Muslim guards. Comes to America and saw the apathy and he was so disgusted. He said, how can a country where Christianity is so free be so hindered? I said, man, don't go back. Just stay here. It's, it's going to be it's much easier here. He said, no, you don't understand. Those are my people. I got to tell them about Jesus. Because if I don't, who will? He didn't have to go back. He would have had it made. And you know what? Now he's the pastor of one of the largest churches in the region. And he just has such a blessed ministry. Why? Not because of who he is. Because he just said, I'll go. I'm just going to go. So guess what? Maybe you're not going to Israel or Africa or India or South America or wherever. Maybe you'll just go to your neighbor. Maybe you'll just go to your coworker. It's not about beating people up. It's about just saying, man, do you know what Jesus did for you? Let me tell you what he did. How much he loves you? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes right to where you are. And we're going to be uh, dismissed in just a moment after a time of invitation as Pastor Keith comes. But if you would, right there where you are, I want you to just spend a moment. This morning's invitation is very simple. Very simple. I want you, if you know Christ, to just, just say, God, 
am I ready? Be willing to ask the question, am I ready? Am I willing? Am I fired up? Am I heated up? Not in some trite way, an emotional thing, but a genuine passion that just is so strong it does nothing, but it has to burn in me. And it has to come out. It's got to flow out of me. Are you ready and are you willing to go with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or have you gotten distracted? Have you let something else rob you of that passion? If you're a Christian this morning, then I want you to just think on that. Maybe in a moment when we sing, you'll come forward if you want to to the stairs here and, and just have a quiet moment apart from everyone else, just a time to spend in prayer. There's no more God up here in these stairs than there is in your seat, but maybe you want to just separate away and just pray. Just seek him in that moment. Maybe you want to ask him and say, God, I know I'm not ready. I know I'm not willing, and I'm sorry for that. Would you, would you give me the strength and the grace to live out this gospel you've given me because I want to be ready and I want to be willing. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. And let me just tell you this morning, first and foremost, God is so madly in love with you. I mean, he is just so desiring for you to have a relationship with him. So much so that he sent his only begotten son, his one and only son, to die on a cross, to be buried, and to rise again so that you, by putting your faith in that reality for forgiveness of sins, can come into a relationship with the Father. And the Bible says that you will spend eternity with him in heaven. If you're here this morning and you've never received Christ, the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. The payment that we've earned for the sin we've committed is death. That word death is separation from God. Not for a moment, but for eternity. But praise God, that very same verse in the book of Romans says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift given freely. All you have to do is receive it. Don't try to earn it. Don't try to clean yourself up before it, but just receive what he's offering. Freely give your life to him. Whatever it is that God is doing and however he's working, I pray that you would respond. Maybe you would sing in a moment. Maybe you would come forward and pray. Maybe pray in your seats. Whatever it is, would you just respond to his leading this morning as we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your gospel. It is truly the power of God unto salvation for all peoples of every nation. And I pray that we'd be fired up, excited, ready to go. Not with our clever plans and programs, which aren't bad, but man, I, I just, I think Jesus is enough. So may we go just in Jesus' name, proclaiming your gospel, your grace and your mercy, your love for the world, that in our sin, when we were enemies, you died for us. Help us to realize that we can find forgiveness this morning in your grace. No sin too great. Father, we thank you for all that you do, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as Pastor Keith leads? Sing out this morning, come and pray, whatever it is that God is doing. Would you respond to him this morning?
Amen. Praise God for his cross and his grace this morning. Amen. I'm going to ask Brother Vic Amador if he comes to the platform and dismiss our service in a word of prayer. Uh, and as he comes, I do want to encourage you, uh, enjoy today, enjoy his grace, go in his mercy and grace, uh, enjoy every moment of it this afternoon with family and friends. Uh, also, don't forget tonight, we're coming back at 6 uh, to continue to study the word of God together as we get back to 1 Corinthians. And so hopefully you can come out tonight for that. Uh, but otherwise, have a great week, and God bless you this, this day as we celebrate uh, not just our freedom as a nation, but just continually ce- celebrate our freedoms in Christ that he gives that are so secure and constant, uh, no matter what changes around us. And so praise God for that. So Brother Vic's going to come and close our service in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this morning and this time that we shared with you and with each other, Lord. And I pray, Father God, that you would continue, Lord, as we depart from this place to speak to our hearts, Lord. Help us in our day-to-day surroundings to uh, portray the life of Christ before others, Lord, that they might come to the saving knowledge of you. Lord, uh, grant traveling mercies as we do go our separate ways. Be with those who are not with us today and uh, are traveling, Lord. I pray for those who are sick, that you would continue to touch them and heal them, strengthen them in their body, Lord. We give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name.